Blog Talk Radio. I am going to have... I am going to have an introduction, like music, song, you know, hey, welcome to Pam and Sports, and I keep forgetting because I have it on every other show that I do, this little recorded, so it kind of gives me a, a chance to get my head in the game, but and I, I think, I don't know, I'm going to reach out to Jason and see if he wants one, uh, Incantation Nation has, has one. <laughs> Has a I found them like some kind of an industrial sounding. <laughs> Who's Incantation Nation? They will be um, starting. We're deciding on whether this Friday would be a good day for them to start doing their show. But there, a new show coming here on uh, Pagans Tonight. Pagans Tonight. Ah, where am I? This is the witching school. The witching. <laughs> God, I'm gonna have to edit all of this out. <laughs> This is the Witching Hour Spellcast. Where the heck am I? I know, I know who I'm talking to. This is Mortalis, right? It is. Hi. Hi. Hi, I'm Pamit. We haven't met you know, on the phone yet, and I appreciate you coming to be a guest on the podcast here on the Witching Hour Spellcast. It's Pamit's Porch. I don't know. I had a, a heck of a night last night. So I'm not working on all cylinders, so please forgive me. Um, but thank you for, for being my guest today um, on the porch. Um, I, I was listening to the show that you did with Jason Mankey on this, which is Whiskey and Wit. And, and, uh, and I don't think we'll be talking about sex and bucket seats. But did, do you have... <laughs> yeah, you never can... You know, they they have that saying: um, two things in life are are uh, guaranteed, death and taxes. But I, I used to like to say sex and taxes. So <laughs> not necessarily guaranteed, almost, but go ahead. I almost feel like um, it's an inevitability that at some point everyone's going to have to consider sex in a car, comfortable or not. <laughs> I. I have some stories of, yes, <laughs> I, I thought it was really funny because when I listened yesterday, um, you know, I was listening to the, to the show that you did with Jason and you were, you were saying back in the eighties when the cars were huge. And I'm like, no, the, that's when the car started getting small. It was like in the seventies, I had a 72 Montego and that's, it's like a Ford and it was like baby blue and it was a tank. It was a so tank, think, man. I Go think ahead. it's important for you to know about me that uh, my my father and all his gearhead brothers uh, remodeled classic cars. That was a, kind of a huge part of my childhood. And um, so we never, ever, ever had anything resembling a new car. So what we were driving in the 80s was these ridiculous, like, 60s and 70s. Nova Lanyard. and the old station wagons with the back, the backward seats, and you know that kind of stuff. I uh, we have one of those station wagons with the that had the pop up seats in the back. Did you have those? Yes, yes. I I I love that. They were always the most fun when you were a kid because you could sit backward and you know, like wave at whoever was behind you the whole time you were driving. 
exactly, exactly. I think they eventually found them to be very dangerous because if you got rear-ended, oh. that would mean you would have smushed kids or kids would fly out the window or something. It's amazing all the really dangerous things we grew up with. Um, oh, seriously. <laughs> seat belts, for, for a while, seat... my father had this Go ahead. old box Go ahead. van that he my father had this old box van that he loved, and uh, he would just put us in the back of it. There were no seats back there, and at one point he got a ticket. So his response to this was to uh, weld an old, like, uh, some metal chairs into the back. They still weren't really seats, but uh, they were in there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I love it. I love it. Well, see, and I know a little bit about you uh, from, from what you, you know, from what you've read and, uh, sorry, what you've wrote, written. I told you I'm not working on all cylinders today from what you've written and such. So I know a little bit about, you know, we're, we're both living in North Carolina. I'm a transplant, much hated by a lot of North Carolinians. Um, but I did, I did find out that I have roots here. If I go back like about or three or four generations. I, I found out that I had, but that's come into question lately because somebody, on my ancestry in my ancestry DNA chain says that one piece of this puzzle is incorrect, which screws up my roots here in North Carolina. Oh my God. I'm I'm desperately trying to prove her wrong. Uh but it's interesting how you know you're you're from North Carolina. I moved here and um I've lived in a lot of different places my entire life, but the experience of living anywhere, but in the south where um you don't necessarily have a lot of money. You, you, you know, I, I was reading about you that you've, you've had, you've grown up poor. I've, I've had pieces of my life where I didn't have, you know, that I had to have the, uh, a, a local charity give us, uh, Christmas presents and, uh, Thanksgiving dinners. And it gives you a different way of looking. The reason I'm, I'm going from that, from your dad's box van welded in seats to that is that's that kind of ingenuity that you come up with when you, when you don't have oh, things sure. that everybody has readily available. And I think, you know, I think that that's a special, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's um, something that I always want to be really open about in my life is that, you know, I think that, that there's a lot of sort of shame and vulnerability tied up in talking about growing up in poverty or or living on the low-income end of the scale. And for me, it's kind of interesting to go from living in this really impoverished situation where I, I was literally diving in dumpsters for clothes to where I am now, and I recognize that I have a huge amount of privilege. Um, my grandmother left me a home, and that's that in and of itself is a huge thing, but going from that to just having enough is this massive just cognitive dissonance where you're you're constantly like, wow, this is like the fanciest life. And then you hear people on the news talking about their income and you're like, 
wow, I have nothing even resembling that. Like, we might actually still be poor, and that's it's so weird sometimes. I I have a political podcast that I do as well, and I'm always calling out uh, different a, a lot of uh, campaigns for and and people out there in the news poor bashing, um, because because it, it it's it's a thing, it it drives me up the wall. Uh, you, like I said, I had periods in my life where I where I was like struggling and had you know was on food stamps and stuff, um, but there are other periods of my life where I was doing pretty well and I acquired things and then next thing I know I'm I'm poor and people come into my house and I have I lived in Germany for goodness sakes because my dad was in the military and I have German things and people come into my house like I'm kind of scam people because I have have things that are and, and they expect you to sell them you know, well you're poor yeah, just sell a- them and I'm like go ahead that that is so true though. I think people expect that if you don't have a lot of income, that you don't have things, or that if you do have them, you would sell them. Um, and that's really unfair. Like you you shouldn't have any sort of creature comforts, or you're not allowed to have heirlooms, or you shouldn't have things that help you attempt to make your life better or more comfortable. And I think I I wonder if that's I'm going to segue into your latest uh, Patheos um, blog um, because you were your your Patheos blog um, was about basically making teaching uh, your craft accessible to people who may not have money. Basically, that kind of classist. If I'm gonna, I, I'm just, I'm introduc- introducing it. I want you to fill in the blanks, <laughs> and sure. uh, and also uh, use this as a, a way to launch into some of the classes that you're 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 going to be offering. If you would, sure. please. Well, bear in mind that you know, I'm a gardenerian, rich, and that's a pretty specific thing where initiatory British traditional craft. And it has always been a tenet of that kind of practice that you do not charge any type of fee or tuition or membership to teach it and pass it on. One of the big reasons for that is that we really need to be able to say no. And money makes that very hard. If you have two people standing in front of you and one has income and one does not, and the one with income is maybe not the best kind of person and not someone that you feel comfortable taking into your coven, but, you know, you want what they can pay you. That money's the water. And it should be about giving family and kinship in the way that was given to us, freely and with love. And inevitably, every so often, there'll be some scandal. We'll hear of somebody actually charging people, and everyone gets very upset because, it's a it's a real hot button issue. Like, what are what are we giving, and, and is it something you can put a price tag on? And should money stand between someone and a god? And I think there's a huge difference between that sort of uh, opportunism that happens, that, that that sort of financial abuse that we see happen in religious organizations when people in positions of leadership 
take advantage. God told me I needed. Sorry, I'm interrupting you to say God told me I needed a new jet plane because He doesn't want me flying economy. God told me I needed. Now this is actually, this is actual stories that of 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 these oh, yeah. these mega church people who who liter who who have said such things as God told me I needed my own jet air, airplane. Please give to me so okay. I can fulfill I God's know. wish for me to have a jet airplane. Imagine the kind of poverty that I grew up in and still my parents would tithe regularly. Um, any money they have, 10% of it went to the church. They, they gave first fruits, which if you're not familiar with that, is the concept of every penny you make in the first month of the year should go to God, which wow. is horrific. I just imagine, imagining someone on fixed income doing that, it's crazy. But, but devil's advocate. There's a huge difference between putting a financial barrier between someone and learning and asking someone to contribute. As a coven leader, I always ask my students to pitch in like we're having tacos tonight. You bring the cheese and you bring the tortillas and you bring you know, that kind of thing. Or right. um, we often we often fundraise together to buy new books for our cousin library or that kind of thing. Um, we keep a street-level food pantry, which coven mates often contribute to by bringing items for it or donating five or ten bucks to buy bags of rice or, or whatever. But I think that's a mile and a half from, from charging someone a membership fee. Well, and I, I – um... I w- I've said this on on some of my other podcasts. The main reason why I, I stepped up and started trying to to do the role, a more visible role in the pagan, Wiccan, witchy community, is because I used to be one of these people who sat in the background saying, "I don't like the way they do that. I don't like the way they do this." And then it occurred to me, if you don't like it, then you should get involved and and kind of bring up, "Hey, why don't we do this?" And one of the things I brought up is um, you know, I've moved around a lot and I've moved around a lot in the South. And whenever you move anywhere in the South, one of the first things that you go into a new, it's very Christian around here. You go into a new town and they're like, what church family do you belong to? Where do you go to church? Well, but see, in, in Texas, they say church family, because if you belong to a church and you need a little extra food, and you need, you know, maybe a little bit of money to, to make the rent this time. Your church is there to help you with that. And I think that we pagans, uh, and I'm using pagans the broad term. I heard you and Jace, anyone that wants to go into the whole detail of, of the, you know, using the term pagan, I think you and Jason in, in, in July hit all the points that I would have made. So, guys can go back and listen to Jason's interview with Mortellus. Um, but basically, pagan as an umbrella term, and I'm really sorry that some people have issue with it. I apologize, but like you said in that, you know, spoiler alert, go back to that thing. It's basically a definition of anyone that's not in, of, a, uh, of an Abrahamic belief, you know, you know, you're not Jewish, you're not, you know, Muslim, you're not Christian. 
overall pagan by definition. Go ahead. It certainly started out as as a pejorative term. It it was meant as a way to other groups of people who did not practice what were considered appropriate majority faiths. So now we have this sort of yeah we have this reclaiming of the term, but it's important I think to understand the fact that so many groups, even especially the the funeral industry, they use that term still to mean that if you are not Christian or Jewish, you are a pagan, period. And that includes atheists, even. Yeah, it does. Um, We... I, I before I go into I'm going to go ahead and stick a pin on this. So remember that we talked about this and and the and the funereal industry and what a pagan is. Um, but I wanted to go back to the, the thing I said that's very important. I feel about the church is the church is there for you. And one of the things I wanted to do for and and not all the time. Okay, so everyone's got their baggage. So I hear people already going like, but the church did this. Yes, the church did do. But there are good people in churches. And there's some good things in church, churches like, I need a little extra food. Do you have a food pantry? Um, and again, I, I know that there are some crappy things with church, with food pantries. But I, I, I think that I'm sorry, I, I think that it's a good thing for our, our communities, our pagan Wiccan Druid communities to to do things like that. So I was applauding you, rather long winded for having that food pantry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Martellus. No, it's fine. I I do think people forget that you know, being polytheistic means believing in all gods, and that does mean believing in the Abrahamic God and believing in those tenets and true followers of that faith who are doing it justice and living kindly and walking their walk. I have no problem with that. And I agree, you're right, there there are a lot of good things and a lot of good groups. And it's really, I think, a vocal minority that is so loud and so terrible. But we've, we've always tried to have that kind of culture in my cousin where we're taking care of each other, where they're for each other. Cooking meals and acting as community and keeping our food pantry that's free to all and making sure that, you know, when one of us is in trouble or having a hard time, you know, we're we're always behind the scenes trying to see how we can help or spend a few dollars there right. or whatever small thing we can do. But show up at their house and help. clean up their backyard. Things like that. <laughs> that can get I think being Right. That's part of being part of a faith community, despite whatever faith you belong to, is it's more than just showing up for ritual. It's showing up when people need your help moving. I know that's like, what? oh, no, I have a pickup truck. They're going to ask me to help them move. <laughs> but I think but that's part of what being community. <laughs> Go, ahead. Go ahead. One of my coven mates had a pickup truck, and he wound up helping so many of us move. I'm still convinced that's why he sold it. I <laughs> what what are the takeaways from your from from listening to you and Jason uh, and uh, from the the show and again it's in our archives so um, it, it's from July so you can find it if you look at you know blogtalkradio.com um, slash 
Witching Hour Spellcast, and you should be able to pull up all the archived episodes that Jason, uh, me, The Witches Next Door, and we've got a couple shows on the way. So yay. Um, one being Incantation Nation. Um, but the one of the things that I took away from something you mentioned, and it set my my ears up, my my rabbit ears up. And then I looked at, I read your 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 blog about um, being careful about charging money. And one of the things that jumped out at me was along the same lines that a lot of a lot of access to occult information that's not granny magic you know folk folklore and superstition and such is where i found most of my magic when i was first learning is through folklore and superstition but but what was considered powerful magic and powerful magicians are masons you were talking about growing up with uh with family members who are masons my my significant other um I I think he's considered a master mason. <laughs> he's he's both York and and Scottish, right? And he's a Shriner now. So yeah, he's really into that. And we we talk about how the ceremonial ceremonial. I'll call him a ceremonial magician all the time. If he ever gives me crap about my my pagany witchy ways, I, I'm like, you're a ceremonial magician. Shut up. <laughs> But do you mind talking a little bit about growing up around the Masons? Sure. I, um, my father was a master Mason, and uh, I, I suppose that uh, I was I was his measure of rule, rule breaking because more than once I was sort of present for rituals in the background. The, the building they used was um, had a gymnasium in it, and so he. If he had to drag me along, I would sit under the under the bleachers while they had ritual. So I feel like I sort of had this um, this uh, mouse's view of of Freemasonry from the outside. I didn't really understand what they were doing, but you know, as an adult, I can put that into context. And I'm not not necessarily sure I would call that high magic or or the most powerful magic, but I I would definitely no. say that. You know, it has a lot of origin and foundation that's important to our craft. Well, and that's the one thing a lot of Masons, a lot of Masons I've run into today have no clue of where a lot of the origins of what they do and why they do things the way they do. Uh, my significant other, since he's with me, he knows a little bit more. and He goes in there and gives some of his he has to give these classes every so often and his always have a little bit of the occult <laughs> and the arcane. But, but the point is, is that in order to be a Mason, you that's a pretty expensive hobby for some people. I don't even want to tell you how much his Fez cost when he became a Shriner. Oh, I know. And it is that access thing. Go ahead. Oh, I was just agreeing that the, the equipment can be so expensive. And that goes back to like the patriarchal, you know, the occult teachings being uh, only available to a lot of men uh, who had a lot of money, which is kind of odd with what we it's it's that dissonance that that you were talking about, because we'd like to think that magic is 
you know, has always been like kind of hidden in the hedges and uh, womany, witchy stuff. Um, and I know not all witches have to be women uh, or women are witches. There, there are men that, that were witching. Um, I think that when we, when you talk about things like granny magic, because one of the things that you were talking about with Jason was the, the resurgence of a lot of Appalachian um, folk traditions and superstitions and stuff coming out, but they wouldn't call that witchcraft because of their religious belief. But I, I kind of liken it to um, cunning folk. Do you know that term? The cunning folk? I am familiar, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I kind of see it more as a cunning folk type type thing. Okay, so let's go back to the thing where I asked people to put a pin in it. I was um, with the, the military. Uh, I was a, a military brat, and one of the last things I did when I was at an Air Force base in Texas is I was, for all intents and purposes, the pagan Wiccan uh, chaplain. There are no pagan Wiccan chaplains at this point that I know of. I try to keep my my ear to that happening um but we're lay leaders and we're you know given the go ahead by the powers to be in the chaplaincy to lead our groups on base and and have you know official um ritual space and such like that um within different industries like this that have these life passages and, and spiritual connections I think we're we're carving out pockets. And that's one of the things I love about your upcoming book. I'm really eager. I have not read it, um, but I'm eager to hear more about um, making funerals more in line with our beliefs. So I'd like you to, to, to talk a little bit about your book and then also talk about your, your role as a, a Wiccan, paganly inclined person in in the industry of death. It is, sure. you know, it is an industry of death. It is there is a businesses and you know, etc. Go ahead. Sure. Um, I do want to go backward for just a moment. I know you were you were taking sure. a moment to address that not just women are witches. There are also Tons and tons of amazing male widgets, so don't forget non-binary people like myself, as well as our asexual members of the community. There are lots of folks out there from all colors of the rainbow. Thank you. Thank you for, I've, honestly, that's, we're becoming more aware of the spectrum of gender and sexuality, and I think it's good to acknowledge that. Thank you. Of course, you know, I think that a, a big a big movement right now in the craft is really looking at inclusivity and how people as they are fall into that that binary and uh, it, it's it's interesting to see sort of watching us as a craft deal with the 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 problem of the priestess priest binary male female goddess god that sort of thing and then seeing how individuals from other points on the spectrum sort of fit into that. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see it sort of changing and growing around us. 
I, you know, and I, when I say we're becoming aware, and I'm, I'm nodding to the fact that that this has always been the case, but we're now starting to acknowledge that um, there have always been non-binary and asexual people, but they've always, you know, there. The, you talk about the otherism of pagans uh, being other with uh, othered with other religions and the otherism of 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 you know poverty and and access to funds and that's just been another otherism um if you're not cisgendered heteronormative etc cetera, etc cetera, you know that and it's i'm very proud of how a lot of people not everybody but a lot of people in our in our realm in our circle in our in um in our community as a whole handle this. And again, not everybody is up to understanding and accepting. So hopefully, you know, we can lead the way with that. Uh, our beliefs can help lead the way with the general public being more in tune with that. Um, but, but thank you for bringing that up. Um, let's let's go back and i'm i'm old i'm older than jason <laughs> so i have a difficult time with picking up the language and and so forgive me if i make mistakes however i'm like so jealous because i would consider myself if the, you know if the spectrum of of uh of uh sexual identity i would see me as as i'm not totally I would probably have, have embraced non-binary if it was something that we were made aware of and some and a, uh, something that I would be able to do when I was younger. Well, I can do it now. I can own it now. <laughs> I no, I'm, I'm I'm cool with it now. I well, see, I've always been. I I was a radio disc jockey. I was a I played Dungeons and Dragons with guys, and I've got awards to show that I'm really good at it. I wasn't like sitting at the table going, "What die do I roll?" You know, I've <laughs> I've uh, I've gone into IT, and I can you know put my my hands in the guts of your computer and tear it apart and put it back together again. So I've always been drawn to more. I used to play baseball and football with the guys. So, and I've always been really annoyed at the, these, you know, column A, column B, this is, you know, if you've girl parts, you do this, if you have boy parts, you do that. I've, I've not liked that. So I've always been trying to, to bust that. And I have four daughters and they all are the same way. So that's, it's, you know, I'm glad that we are having acknowledgement and awareness of this but i you know like i said it's always been around so um but back to the, the funeral industry because I, this is what this is honestly we're taking a long time to get around to this but this is what i'm really interested in i'm a scorpio scorpios you know that's death and taxes that's our sign um and i you know we're we're our sun sign is in the time of salad um I, I feel that Scorpios are born with a more, not all, but, but are born with a, a greater understanding and acceptance and reverence of, 
of death as seen as a transitional. It's, you know, you have birth, you have all these other posts that everybody goes through and death is something that everybody goes through. And I have friends in, in the past that have, you know, they've, they've come out and said, Hey, I want to study mortuary sciences and everybody like ah! runs away from them. And I'm like, wow, that is so cool. Uh, one of my friends who was in the military, that's what she did in the military was like the, the mortuary person. And I, I'm still, I'm very serious. I'm going to tell her about this podcast. Um, I don't think she's pagan. I don't know how much she'd be interested in this, but I I have told her and and I'm welling up right now saying this, that when I pass, I would, I would, it would be, I don't think she'd be able to handle me (laughs) because she's in South Dakota. I'm in North Carolina, but it would, I would love for her to be able and I think that that's important to find somebody that you trust and find these rituals that you trust and have an idea of what you want. It's really so important to plan ahead and, and make sure that you have everything in place. Of course, I'm a huge advocate of that, but uh, getting the information out there, I think, is a huge part because the, the industry is so sort of closed off to the idea of anything that's different and it's so Christian that, that you know you can't get it to look the other direction for something else. Well, we've got people like um, Selena, Selena, uh, Selena Fox up in Circle Sanctuary. She has a green cemetery there. Um, one of the things that that Circle Sanctuary and and other organizations fought really hard for, you know, going back to my military roots is the right to put uh, the symbols that you you want, that you connect with on your tombstones if you're a veteran. But that's, mm-hmm. to do that, you have to plan ahead. You have to have that all on your paperwork and you have to make sure that people around you will comply with that because it is seen as out of the ordinary and, you know, not mainstream. But go ahead. I think one of one of the things that I always fight for is making the industry work for you. There are groups out there like Circle Sanctuary you mentioned and others who they work with green burial and home burial and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, they really uh, eschew involvement from the funeral industry. The reality is that having a green burial or a home burial isn't what everyone wants. It's not easy for everyone to plan, and it can be very expensive. Um, and for me, as someone who who is a mortician and is inside the industry, I really encourage people to communicate better with the funeral industry and sort of find a way to educate each other so that you can fit within that space just like everyone else because death should be neutral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is. I, I love the, 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 the concept, and I've told people about this, of, of a death midwife. 
And here I am getting chills again and getting this this welling up. Uh, one of my daughter's best friends growing up, very, very Christian young lady. Um, but my daughter and her were super close friends, and they learned to respect each other's beliefs. And this young lady, as far back as I remember, I've known her since middle school. She's always wanted to be a midwife and wanted to be a pediatrician. Babies, 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 babies. She she has three kids. She loves having kids. She loves being around kids. But she's now found her place working in hospice. And she loves it. And she's like, I never thought that this would be where I would find my place. And I said, I said, in our beliefs, we have you know, terms like a dead midwife, you know, you're, it's almost, you, you have people who bring you into the world and it's a transition and it's celebrated. We don't necessarily have that prevalent in our culture of leaving this plane, this, this part of our existence. Hey, you I don't know. I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's really situational depending on your, your belief, your culture. We certainly can't make any assumptions based on our own culture and positionality because every group has their own way of dealing with death and, and understanding it and believing in you know afterlives, reincarnation, and that sort of thing. But when it comes to just generalized modern American ideas about death, you're right. It's it's very sort of closed off and very uncomfortable for people to imagine what what that might be. I like one of the things that you were saying to, to Jason. I can't, I don't think I've ever seen a dead body. But you, that was normalized for you growing up in, in the environment that you grew up with. You were talking about, you talked about home burial and that that was just part yeah, of that was part of life it is definitely something you see more i think in the mountains you see a lot of families that have uh, burial plots on their property or, or family cemeteries that are just occupying space in communities you, you do see a lot more of that i think here in the appalachian doing home burials and you know digging graves for members of your church community and that sort of thing it's pretty normal So you have some classes. I wanted you to, to be able to, to touch on the, the classes that you're you're offering. Um sure. that you have on your Facebook page. And also let people know if there's any talk about your um <clears throat> excuse me, more about your coven and, and the work that you do with that in general. I know we've been focusing a lot on, on death and some of the stuff, you know some other things, but I want you to be able to focus a little bit of this part of the show on the stuff you're doing other than that, how you're helping the community. We definitely have a lot of things going on. We've been keeping a street-level pantry. Um, unlike most food pantries, we have absolutely no obligation to even interact with another person. There's no indicator that it is a religious group offering it. We have I don't know if you're familiar with the little free library concept, but we have a yeah. library box. We've converted our library into a pantry. So there's a sign on it that just says 
take what you need. If you want to leave something for someone else, you can. It's just there. People take from it as they please with absolutely no obligation. And uh, we just fill it back up when it needs. So I, I love that that's something we're doing. And if you want information on how to contribute, uh, look to my About page on Papios. Uh, there's a link there. Um, we have a community library that we make freely available to anyone in our community who may want to borrow books. I know that's a little unusual, but libraries tend to be pretty bad at keeping uh, good and accurate and unbiased saving material. So we do our best to make things available to people who aren't a part of our coven, but who are a part of our community. Um, you asked about classes. People feel... People steal those books from libraries. People steal those books from libraries. They, they. Deborah Blake had a, a book here in our little library in, uh, in North, where I'm at, North Carolina, and there was a, a tag on it saying that if you want to check this out, you have to give a ten dollar deposit, because people, uh, you know, whether it's a, I'm sorry, that's one of the the hard the reasons that it's hard to find books left in libraries and whether it's a, somebody who's interested that's stealing it or somebody from the church that doesn't want it to fall in the wrong hands <laughs> so it's important they, uh, that we do keep our own libraries one of my cousin mates is a librarian i'm sure she could talk your ear off on on the topic of stock and pagan books and challenges it presents but um uh, those little free library system generally involves putting items in that you don't mind if someone keeps forever. So we we stock our library with books that people can just take and keep if they wish, and they can return them if they choose. Um, but as for our electronic library, uh, I say electronic, it's physical media that there's a link where they can see what we have, but we've literally never had a single person take a book and keep it, ever. Awesome. See what happens when yeah. you set this up where everybody shares? I think that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't mind so talking to your librarian our, friend. I, go ahead. So I was going to say we've been keeping our community library for five years now, so it's a lot of, lot of success for us. Um, I'm a big fan of the Band Books Week, and that's coming up here at the end of September, September 27th through October 3rd. And banned and challenged books are kind of a – it's it's something that intrigues me. I like to bring people's attention to, to the books. And I, I would love to hear about her or his – I think you said her um, experience with, with challenged pagan books in libraries. That would be I'm cool. I'm a big advocate. Of always using they them if you're not sure. It's a totally neutral pronoun that works for everybody. <laughs> um, the the reason one of the things that I was uh, earlier on I said put a pin on this and I and I brought back I I keep coming back to the the funeral industry and you know what it's like to be a pagan in that industry. Um, do you? Can you give us some experiences where it, positive experiences of being a pagan and being able to help people, please? Or do you have any? 
it's that's it's hard for uh, me because I want to be I want to be a I want to work with the chaplains at, at the at the hospitals. But I remember one chaplain when I I told him I would like to work and I work there and help out pagans. He got this scared look on his face and literally turned around and ran the other direction. Generally, hospitals have particular requirements about who can function as clergy within their spaces. Um, typically, licensed clergy or, or properly ordained clergy it really just depends on the hospital. So, I wouldn't feel offended that they weren't necessarily able to take a volunteer because there's there is a process for that, and it's similar um, oh, there when is. doing things like like prison ministry and that sort of thing. They they always have parameters, but. Um, you were asking for instances of uh, being there for pagan families. I've, obviously, I can't talk about anything that might give away anyone's personal information. Um, so, so that's an issue for me. But um, I did recently, in the last two weeks, have the opportunity to be there for one of my cover members whose father had passed away, and that was it was certainly interesting in a lot of ways because. He's the only member of his family who is pagan, so sort of navigating the challenges of what the rest of the family wanted versus what they needed was was interesting, and that's often a problem I find. Oh, that's that's what I was alluding to when I was talking about the um, the. Um, when you're in the military and you want to have a, a specific symbol on your tombstone is making sure it's all written down and having somebody there to to um, make sure it gets fulfilled. And I think that that's so important. My father passed away two years ago, and I'm still trying to figure out, he was, you know, put 30 years in the military, and I'd like to have his, I'd like to have him interred at a, his ashes interred at a, at a VA you know, uh, cemetery, but I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know how to go about doing all this. Is that something that you, you find too, is people like when there is somebody who's passed, what now? That is something that your, um, the funeral home that did your cremation could help you with, actually. If you contact a local funeral home and let them know your wishes, they can happily help you arrange to enter those remains. If you were looking to uh, bury the urn in its entirety, which is often the case, obviously there there will be some paperwork and so on to do. Um, I think there might be scattering areas at a few, but it just depends on the area you've chosen and, and what your needs were. But if you have questions about that and want to message me after the broadcast, I'd be happy to. Awesome. Awesome. This is... I... I, I I really appreciate your time here uh, to help with, and again, it's, you know, our culture in general is one that, you know, as, as much as we keep pagans, you know, quiet and separate, don't, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm involved with the, with a lot of politics and, Every so often, you know, everybody thinks that, oh, you're in North Carolina, it's God, 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 even, you know, despite what color politics you're into, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever I mention, but I'm a pagan, all of a sudden, 
it's like this, oh, okay, I thought we could talk to her, but she thinks, you know, I get this, so you think you're a witch. <laughs> well, yeah. Nice yeah. Go ahead. I made an interesting comment once about why people see paganism as so divisive and scary. And his hypothesis was that paganism is a choice. You, We have so few people that grew up in it or um, have multi-generational uh, Wicca or heathenry and so on in their family. They are out there, but they're probably not the vast preponderance of people who identify as pagan. But for those first-generation witches and so on, it, it represents a choice. It represents the ability to get up and change your mind. And that's scary to conservatives. Yeah. The idea that you you could decide to be something yeah. different. Even liberals, I'm telling you, Mortellus, even liberals have an issue with this. They all do. They 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 seem they they like to to say they are open with it, but unless you belong to like a UU congregation, uh, we started trying to uh, we started trying to do a P flag group here, and I stood up and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to work on this P flag group, but I'm I'm also pagan, and I need you guys to know that that's you know what investment I'm doing by by being so public not only coming out for, you know, to, to do a P-Flag group, but also coming out as a pagan doing the P-Flag group. And they were just like at a loss. They're like, I don't understand why it's a big deal. And I'm like, you don't understand <laughs> how a lot of, you know, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, how much the inclusivity and the, the, the focus on trying to be inclusivity in, in the pagan world uh, is, is, connects with a lot of what's going on with the LBGTQIA plus um, movement as well. There's a lot of overlap. It's not the same thing, but there's a lot of overlap. Right? Yeah. Wrong. I mean, You're visibility, not... visibility is important, and people deserve to be seen in the way they they see themselves, no matter what the circumstance, your face, your sexuality, your gender identity, you you deserve to be seen. And I think that's basic basic human dignity. Yes. It's all about basic human dignity and, and respecting others. Um, we, we touched on the... Go ahead. Go for it. You asked me earlier about uh, workshops that I have coming up. Um, I have a, a workshop on the 13th on osteomancy where I'll be talking about uh, doing divination with human remains and working with animal remains and cleaning and caretaking them. On the 20th, I have a workshop on uh, the magic of salt, which is one of my favorite classes. I hope you guys will show up for that one. And on the 27th, I'm doing a class on pagan death and dying which should be a particularly interesting session because it's the first time I've had mixed participation between the pagan community and the funeral community. So it's an opportunity to sort of mingle with people who are on the other side of that job as well. All of the information for those is on my website, which is listed on my Papios About page, as well as my Facebook and Instagram. 
searching a crow in the dead should turn those up for you. <clears throat> a, a crow in the dead. And all of these classes have a cost of $40. If you are unable to afford that class and would like to attend, I hope you'll send me a private message. I'll see if I can give you a seat in there. Also, um, for anyone who would like to attend but isn't available on that day, um, I'll be uh, recording the classes and making a recording available for 30 days after the class for that individual person. Awesome. Awesome. I, you know, nobody is really, we haven't talked about COVID and the pandemic and pandemic is, you know, what, how that has brought any changes if it has to your life in this aspect as both a leader of uh, a precepts of your, your group or as your, your connection with the, the, the industry mortician, etc. Um, I think one of the the big I hate to say positives, but one of the ways that that it, that's the world has opened up more is to be able to to do these classes and have these. I mean, um, the classes. A lot of these classes were already there ahead of time, but now people are being more involved in taking remote classes. Can you give me your thoughts on um, that, on either? I think I think for a lot of people, it's a hard choice. I obviously am in the camp that says we should mind our own senses right now and do our best to remain community while keeping each other safe. And I would never ask my students anything that would put them in danger. So I certainly had... Um, no coven meetings during this pandemic and had everyone on Zoom calls, which has been challenging, but also fun. Um, I've had the opportunity to participate in a lot of online workshops and online events over this period of time, which is, it's twofold. It gets a little exhausting doing so many, um, I think I get video conference exhaustion, but um, I, I feel like <laughs> I've been able to participate in things that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to. Um, a lot of times a big barrier to me in going to events is my work with the dead and the fact that I have children and my, obviously, income is always an issue, the cost of going somewhere, traveling, getting a hotel, that sort of thing. But uh, it's been nice to, to get to be more involved with, with events because of this uh, increased uh, awareness of uh, video conferencing and that sort of thing. Um, I'm agoraphobic. I don't go anywhere, so it's I've been making this world of of reaching out remotely for years. And one of the things that's part of why I like doing this podcast. It's my way to to make connections with people, uh, and also hopefully for other people who are like me, whether it's agoraphobic or they're the only person in their community, but to give access to, to people who would normally, normally have access to these concepts and to, to my guests and, um, you know, the books and the, and the things to, to give them a, a, something to find their own studies to, to do their own research on. But one of the things that we, have done in the past and I haven't done that yet here. I think Jason's done one 
I think we did Beltane, but we've been able to do some some podcasted rituals in uh, on on podcasts like this. And I'm I'm hoping that we can do some in the future. I'm kind of doing a little bit plugging for what we've got going on here in the Witching Hour Spellcast. Again, listen for um, Incantation Nation on the way, uh, as always, every Thursday, most every Thursday, almost every single Thursday, we've got uh, Jason and doing the Witches Whiskey and Wit. Thank you for being his guest there. Um, he gets all the great guests because he, you know, knows all the people from either Llewellyn or Pathios. So it's like, and when I when I saw you on, uh, go ahead. Oh, we've got I, uh, um, Jason and I are, are initiates of the same tradition, so that's yeah, that's definitely a a connection for us. Yeah, well, I, I know he's he's Gardnerian too, and that's. That's something that he likes to talk about. And I, I like that. Um, you know, like I said, I'm older and Gardnerian. It was very secretive when I was growing up that, you, you know, not a lot of people would, would talk about. It was even even within people who were like minded, it was hard to because everyone guarded their secrets so so carefully. And it's so nice to see people so openly and publicly gardenarian and and sharing their their uh understanding and beliefs i i yeah something that you and jason touched on again spoiler alert go back and listen to the other interview uh we i'm not trying to to recreate the same interview with the same guest i'm i'm but I, I do like a lot of the things that you brought up with Jason about, you know, where you may have gotten into di discovering the craft. If it was like Silver Ravenwolf or, you know, Uncle Bucky's Big Blue Book or however, it's it's how it forms your initial view of uh, of this this tradition of these traditions and these paths and and such. Um, so I, I want to, I know you, you uh, graciously gave me an hour, um, before we wrap us or anything else that you would like to, I've got one thing that I wanted to talk to you about before we totally wrapped up, but is there anything else that you wanted to bring up about your book is coming out in February, Llewellyn book. Congratulations. Yes, coming out. I'm very excited about that and, uh, very excited that Llewellyn saw fit to, Sign a few more contracts with me, so I have other stuff coming up, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. So it looks like my next book coming out, I'm going to be touching on the topic of necromancy for beginners, which I'm I'm very excited about since it's a school of magic that is often misunderstood and villainized, and, and I love that I'm getting the opportunity to present it in a way that isn't a caricature or isn't... Um, negatively inclined. I am excited about that. That is I you are correct. There's caricature negatively maligned very very much so when you talk about necromancy. Um when you talk about, you know, uh being a medium, I know that you mentioned uh on uh your some of your about you Stuff, the being a medium, it really freaks people out when you start talking to them about 
people on the other side, and they're always with us. They're who we are. Go ahead. Exactly. It's definitely um, an interesting word to choose to use for yourself, and I really very rarely call myself a medium, actually, only when I have to, because I feel like it's a negative connection to things like, um, oh, these ridiculous reality shows and people charging money and that kind of thing, which I'm not about. Yes. Um, I think. I think that for um, a psychic ability or something that's intuitive, that it's really important that we have as much integrity as possible. And because mediumship is something that would be so easy to manipulate someone with, I would never Um, take a penny for it, ever. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, um, you know, it's, and it's something that's, that's, in in my family, uh, my daughters and I, that's something that that came from my mother. Um, that just that the you know our ancestors are always all around us, and they're part of who we are. And op- being open to that communication, um, and and we there, I don't like using the word medium either, but I I just wanted to use that word to to, to help shorthand for people to understand that connection that you can make with with people um who they're still with us i i it's so it's frustrating to try to explain it's a different plane a different area but they're still part of our lives if we allow them to be and if we listen to them and sometimes uh i'm the person who who like the loud people's loud ancestors will come and like you have to tell them this (laughs) And I'm like, they're going to think I'm crazy if I just say this. But, I mean, do you have much much experience with anything like that happening with you? I, with spirits asking me to deliver a message? Yeah. I, I mean, that's definitely a big part of my life. But uh, I I will say I don't think that what the dead have to say is always useful. That's uh Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I, I would <laughs> say about half the time it's messages from someone's grandma wanting them to know that they, they dress like a hussy, but you know, the rest the rest of the time they might be they might be useful messages that I try and pass along. One of the more interesting experiences I had in that regard was um, the situation where my my daughter was going on a field trip with school and they had hired a bus service and they called us in for some parent meeting or other and the the bus person was talking about the rules and I kept getting this nudge to tell them something and I, I, I need you to understand that I am not Haley Joel Osment as a medium. I am... Um, Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost. I'm just really annoyed by it. Mostly. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's not entirely true, but I'm a I'm a little cynical and um, annoyed a lot of the time. But I did uh, I did convince myself to give this person their message, which was that there was something wrong with a particular bus of a particular number. She obviously thought that I was a lunatic, but I handed her my card anyway. The next day she called me, I'm, and the bus was the bus that she was intended to be driving that day, and the bus did, in fact, have a problem with the brakes, and I possibly 
prevented them taking a very dangerous trip in it. Yeah. And and again, it, it is one of those annoying things. It's not it is more like Whoopi Goldberg for me too. Uh, not always. I don't want people to. I don't want. What I'm saying, I don't want people to think that I'm. I don't want people on the other side to say, "Well, fine, we're not going to talk to you." <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I I met this. Um, I did. I used to do radio, terrestrial radio, and uh, we had a brand new DJ come in, and I connected with you know connected with him right away. Uh, we had both worked overseas radio, and we we talked about the difference in that. And then I said, "Hey, there's a spirit fair thing that was that weekend, and I was I had all these free passes." And I said, "You know, are you interested?" And he's like, "Oh, my wife would. My wife, her name is Christian. My wife Christian would would be interested." And Christian came in that weekend, and I handed her the card, and she says, "Oh," and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I blurted. Your mother knows that you love her. She she understands, and it's okay that you didn't make it to see her before she died. Out of nowhere. I had no clue anything about these people uh, other than they had just moved back from living in Guam. Well, it came to be that her when they came back, her mother was up in ICU, had had a stroke, but was supposed to be on the mend and about ready to be moved down to another another uh room and on the way to the hospital her mother passed and her mother is one of those really loud ones <laughs> and i'm i'm like you know it, it just is what it is and it's funny because my daughters and i will will talk about this and we'll uh we'll have these conversations and i'm like remember that guy that used to sit on the back of our property line because I, you know, you, you put protections up because you don't want anybody, everybody just walking in. You lock your door to your house. Well, this guy would sit on the end of the property line and yell at her all night because he wanted to get her attention because she's far more sensitive than I am. And I would, I would just, you know, tell her to block him out because he he kept on trying to get to her to tell something about an antenna or look for something somewhere it was one of those new those messages that wasn't he just found somebody that would listen you know what i mean hey you can hear me hey i can't get my tv to whatever go ahead whoever's passing through i'll take it yeah i definitely had those kinds of experiences and yeah and it's go ahead i'm sorry People always ask me if uh, I see a lot of spirits through my work, or what's it like being a, in a funeral home as a medium, or cemeteries and that kind of thing. But shockingly, the dead do not hang out in those places because that is not where their loved ones are, and that is not where they died. So it's actually pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's conversations I have with people too. They're, I'm like, you know do you hang out there and um, the other thing too is whenever people have issues with with you know what they call ghosts um you know oh i have a ghost in my house i'm like okay is this always been no it's just recently okay who is it they're like uh, uh i don't know what do they want <laughs> i don't know i just need to get rid of it i'm like i'm trying to figure out what it wants first but make sure you say don't allow it if it wants to do anything negative to you. Just say, look, I'm not going to put up with that stuff, but what do you want? 
like you would talk to anyone else. Anyhow, you and I can talk about this some other time. When you do, you, you, go ahead. Go ahead. I I know that I'm probably terrible for the same speech, but I I don't like to call the dead it. I I like them. They're people. They're still people with feelings and fears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I'm with you. And I'm looking forward when you when you have that necromancy book, when it's close to coming out, um, please consider coming back on the podcast because I this is something that that I I really <clears throat> I like to, to 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 see what you have to say and and to to like you said take away the caricature take away the you know the the uh, there's a word. I hate this. I have, I, again, I had a, a really rough night last night. Um, stigma. There you go. Of, of that word and, and of that, that, uh, belief, uh, that tradition, that, that practice, that's the word I'm looking for, that practice. Um, I uh, thank you for being my guest. I, the one thing I wanted to, to do to wrap up is I don't, do you know the artist Mama Gina? The music I artist Mama know. Gina? Yes, I am familiar. Um, she is an undertaker's daughter. Did you know that? Interesting. That's why I asked if you knew her and if you knew this one piece about her. So I think I'm going to reach out to her. I think that's that's universe telling me because she's offered to be a guest on the show. And that's like the second week in a row that Mama Gina has come up in the conversation here on the podcast. Uh, because when, when I thought about a song to play while uh, at the end of the interview, I thought I got to play Mama Gina's Undertaker's Daughter. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap this up because we're over the, the hour mark and I do appreciate your, your time. And I understand that you're very busy and you have a little ones to, to also to attend to. Um, I hope that uh, this is our first meeting. So I hope that, that it was a, a pleasant one for you and that you would feel comfortable maybe being a guest in the future. Hopefully. Pleasure. It's a pleasure being on, and I, I really appreciate you asking me. It's, I'm always delighted when anyone wants to hear what I have to say, of course. And I hope your listeners will definitely go check out Patios or find me on social media and say hello. Well, I'm glad I got a chance to meet you, too. Um, and I'm really liking the greater community of, of what's growing here in, in North Carolina with witches and pagans and druids. Oh my. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go ahead and play. It is. It's very dynamic here. I don't know how it is other places. I'm not other places. Um, but it's very exciting here. Um, and, and that means a lot in this. You know, we alluded to how Christian and, and how fundamentalist Christian this area is. When I moved here five years ago, everybody that was associated with my significant other were sure that I was going to lead him to the devil. And I'm still, I think they're starting to understand that I'm really far more kind and understanding than, than they 
I don't know. You understand. You understand growing up here. You understand how how much that fundamentalist Christian way is 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 very much a North Carolina thing. But also that connection with the earth, that connection with spirit, um, that connection with the indigenous people. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I'm, I'm liking that's coming out now. Um, transition. I think we're in a, a, a time of transition. Well, I'm going to play. Hold on a second. I'm going to start Mama Gina here and the Undertaker's Daughter. Thanks again for being my guest here on Pamit's Porch. And Mortellus, look, look, look them up and find the blogs and the upcoming book and books now. Congratulations on the contract and uh, some of the, the classes that they teach. So thank you so much for being my guest on Pamela's Porch. Inside their faulting 
touch the pillows neat there. I still hear my daddy's voice in the silence all around. He said, we're here for the living. Then he left without a sound. And so I looked for answers in every holy book. I made it up as I went along. that we keep and the stories we have tell and the tiny holes we leave along the way we teach our sons and daughters to love as best we can but we really shape our children with the things that we can't With the secrets that we keep and the stories we have to tell and the tiny holes we leave along the way. We teach our sons and daughters to love as best we can, but we really shape our children with the things that we can't say. Daddy. 